Greetings, folks. Welcome to episode four of In Light of the Gospel. Today is my first time trying out the whole Zoom chat thing. I'm going to be speaking with my brother Joe, and he now lives in Alberta. So we couldn't uh, be together in real time, or in person rather. And so with that, there's a few little glitchy things. The sound is not as as good as it should be. And even altogether, I, it's been such a huge learning curve for me to try to get to know how to do this. And I want to do it well. I want to make it profitable and helpful to people. And so I'm learning, I'm growing as I go, and I didn't realize how big of a learning curve this would actually be. So forgive some of that. Hopefully you'll still be really blessed by the conversation. I think there's a lot of value in it. Um, I've been really blessed by doing this. It's been a real... Um, very rewarding for me to, to be able to have these conversations with people that I already know quite well for the most part, but kind of digging into their history and learning again what brought them to Christ and what their story now is. It's been really good. So again, trying to get better at it. I've been really appreciating the positive feedback. I've had messages from people who I haven't heard from in quite a while saying how much they like it. I've had people being very generous to me, people who have donated a light to make my video quality a little better. I had my a mic donated to me some time ago and other things like that, and just um, people being positive about the whole thing and appreciating it and listening to it. Just the fact that a few hundred people listen sometimes is pretty impressive to me or very uh, humbling to me. So again, appreciate you tuning in. If you want to subscribe, follow along on uh, whatever podcast stream you use, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, or uh, follow me on YouTube, whatever it might be. That way you'll see these messages as soon as I put them out. So anyway, to my brother Joe, <clears throat> uh, we talk a lot about coming out of religion coming out of Old Colony, and then later on coming out of another type of religion that you'll hear about. We talk about his courtship, how he met his wife, how he came to Christ, we talk about marriage a little bit, uh, the fact that he moved away to, to Alberta, and um, his, his work, his ethic, all that kind of stuff comes into this, raising children, um, the whole house church idea, him leaving our congregation at Springfield and trying to find something else. But anyway, I really hope you are blessed by this conversation, as blessed as I was. It was nice to, to hear from Joe again. I haven't seen him in quite a while, so hopefully you'll be blessed as well. All right, welcome back to In Light of the Gospel. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Dan Blatz. I got my younger brother, Joe Blatz, with me here today. We should have plenty to talk about. It'll be a little difficult knowing where to stop and hopefully having something interesting enough for you all to be intrigued by and blessed by. Um, one of the reasons I've started this whole thing is because I feel like I have the most interesting friends and family around who've been affected by the gospel in ways that is very unique and interesting and I think could be relevant and helpful to a lot of people. I have been living in light of the gospel now for 17 years, and uh, my brother Joe was not much after me. So uh, as I've done with the last few conversations, I'll just kind of have Joe introduce himself somewhat, and uh, I'll interject here and there and see where it goes. But um, I I think of Joe when he was very young as a, a very angry young man, young boy. He was a, a temper tantrum kind of guy. Go, get right to the nitty gritty here right away. But um, maybe let's hear from your perspective. Where, where do things start in your story I, I exactly was thinking this last night the whole temper tantrum thing was going to come up the one thing i can well a lot of things i can remember but the one thing i can remember is uh smashing one of your die cast models 15 dollar die cast model and uh feeling terrible for it many <laughs> other things like i was the kid that would threaten to kill myself if i didn't get my way you know and just walk off angry and 
Yeah. It wasn't easy for our parents. It was a tough, tough life. And I think that because of my back uh, previous attitude before I was saved, I think that also caused some of the treatment after I was saved, although most of it was because of uh, because they weren't saved themselves at the time, right? So, so, but I have a lot of a lot of my own blame there, and I went to public my life, so that didn't help. That doesn't help, <laughs> eh? I remember Saturday mornings. Our parents would typically go away Saturday mornings, go out for breakfast, and we were left at home to uh, to fight amongst ourselves. And I remember you being the youngest at the time. Jamie wasn't around yet, or he was a baby. I forget which. And uh, you would get really angry and and throw tantrums and smash the walls. And then you would start using foul language. I remember one time counting how many times you used a bad word. Oh my! And it was like sixty or seventy times, and I was going to tell on you. So it was a it was a bad situation from the start. You and I were about uh, I always forget now. It's four years apart. Yeah. Four yeah, years. I'm four years older. And uh, but I feel like now, if anybody knows you now, they would never think that of you. You don't seem to fly off the handle. Like I've worked with grown men who act that way, who will take tools and huck it across the room or smash things when they're upset. I've never known you to be that way as an adult. Well, I usually not. Maybe my family would say different sometimes. I mean, there's I do get frustrated. It it still happens time to time, and it's something that I still have to look to what Jesus did for me to to make sure that it's overcome it has been overcome i need to trust that and believe that and uh it's a renewing of the mind i guess you could say nice do you think uh when you think about those times when you were so angry do you know how you were feeling or why you why it was so frustrating or what the thought was i don't know why i i know that uh because of going to public school i think any school would have had this effect but public school was pretty rough i was bullied from young on and therefore, and and I can't put the blame just on other people. That's for sure. I think with my character too. I but, probably bullied you. But I was bullied quite a bit in school. I was uh, chubby, overweight all my life, pretty much. And I was a Mennonite. And I was called the dirty Mexican. You know, I was the only, I never had a lot of friends in school. I had one here or there every now and then. And I was not a nice guy to be around. Um, and I was bullied. So all of that led to me becoming an angry person, I believe. I was not athletically gifted. I wasn't musically gifted. You know, I, I feel like I have talents and things to offer now, things that I've done for myself possibly or built myself up. But back then, I didn't see any value that I could offer. And I think the other people, other people felt the same way. And that's why I got bullied. Interesting. So you actually would have considered yourself as kind of useless or not having much to offer people. I don't know if I ever thought of it that way now, but now thinking back, that's possibly the way I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of seemed to stop. It feels like when you came to the age where you recognized that it looked silly or that it wasn't uh, socially acceptable to be angry and yell and stuff. So it just kind of slowed down when you get to your teen years or something like that. Yeah, it must have. I mean, I, in my teen years, I finally found a good friend, Ed, uh, your brother-in-law, Ed Martin. Oh, nice. And- and I think that's kind of where it slowed down. You know, I had a close friend that I could uh, talk to and he wasn't going to bully me and he still never has. He's never made fun of me. Not once that I can think of. You know? <laughs> it, it helps that you're like six foot four, 250 pounds. 
Well, that helped in school too. I never really had to fight. And the one time I did, I was a little scared because I thought this little five foot nothing guy was going to take me. So. I had that a couple of times happen to me. I was a bigger kid in school too, not as big as you. But when some little kid who grew up in a foster home or something and wasn't afraid of anything, he'd come at me and hit. And then I was like, oh shoot, what do I do now? Everybody was always scared. Now I don't know how to handle this. Yeah, I remember a friend of mine in uh, grade, uh, would have been around grade four, we got upset with each other. This was the only friend I had at that time. And then shortly after, we weren't friends anymore. Maybe it was because of this, but uh, I got upset with him. So I sat on his head on the pavement. And <laughs> we still talked, you know, when we moved to Alberta, um, he contacted me on Facebook for some reason during that time. I told him we were moving here and he reminded me of that. Oh, boy. He'd done that. But Good memories. Things like that, I just put my weight on you type of thing and people wouldn't. Nice. So if we go back to uh, when you met Ed Martins, you were probably like 16 or something in that range. I don't think I may have been driving at the time. Cause I, I had him on my baseball team way back in those days. Yeah. I must, I, I must've had beginners at least, but I, I don't think I was much older than that. Maybe okay. 15 years before I had any beginners. So I, I got married and moved out when I was 19. And so you would have been like, uh, 15 ish when I got married. So quite a bit changed and happened there with you when you were at home where I wasn't that involved with your life anymore. I got saved about a year after we got married. I know I was a little bit a year and a half after we got married is when finally I came to see Christ and the whole old colony church split happened. And uh, you guys went along with mom and dad and all of us, we went to Mr. Redekop's church and we were hearing the gospel in English for the first time. Does something happen there immediately? I forget now some of your story. Oh, well, I think because of the lack of friends at the beginning, I was probably just trying to fit in, do what everybody else did, just so I could have that group of friends. Because at that time, I was uh, with the youth group. I hung out with guys like Neil Pichro and uh, your brother-in-law, Henry Wheat, quite a bit still at the time. And then we both got invited out by Neil Pichro to a youth group. So that's nice. when the whole thing started. That was before we left Old Colony. And then at Old Colony, obviously, or at uh, Redicops, obviously, we started, you started that youth group, and then I was a part of that. And there was so much religion there, it's very hard to tell where I, where I actually got saved, whether it was there or later on. And because of that need for people, because I never really had people growing up that much, uh, that it's, it's very hard to tell if it was religion or if it was Jesus at that time or when that, when that changed. Interesting. I know now that I'm involved with uh, ministry and helping young people see the truth and getting them baptized and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it's hard to discern whether they're genuinely from their heart converting to Christ and are really excited about what Christ has done, or if it is this, you know, my friends are doing it, it seems to be the socially acceptable thing, it's the right thing for my parents. We've had some where they get totally ostracized from their parents, so then it seems more obvious that they've made a choice that is very real to them, right? But yeah. uh, it's w when you have this need for affirmation and confirmation from other people, it can be a very difficult reality check, right? What it, What is this thing? Is it real or is it just uh, a religion thing? Yeah, and then after getting saved, being um, influenced by, well, the same people you were, the church at Vienna, which they were zealous, they loved Jesus, no doubt about it, that uh, a lot of them did. But there was also so much religion entwined with, some of their teachings that even then sometimes it's hard to tell for me if I was just following the rules at times 
you know, when I got baptized or water sprinkled on my head, whatever you want to call it, uh, that could have been a fitting in thing. When I look back, it could have been because some of my friends were doing it and uh, it was the right thing to do at the time. So I see. But I had a very close friend in Leamington that uh, we got saved at about the same time. His name's Abe Newfold. I haven't talked to him in years, but uh, we had some really good times. We went out street preaching, sharing the gospel with people, um, and uh, praying over the city of Leamington, sitting out on the, going out on the pier, way out on the rocks in Leamington, and lifting our hands to God and praying for the city of Leamington to be saved. And, wow. and then with uh, you know the kind of mandate youth group in Leamington quite a bit. Got to do some teaching there, but that was a little later on. And then uh, also with the Radicops was kind of over at the time or becoming over during during that time. And then I went to the Lighthouse Gospel Youth Group quite a bit and Vienna Youth Group. And what was whatever was left of Redicops, we kind of splintered off, right? We went to the... the I'm just going to, to fill in a little bit for some people maybe who weren't aware of what happened. There was... An old colony church split. One of the preachers left and he wanted to teach a little more English and uh, have the young people understand what the gospel and what the scriptures were actually about. And there was a big chunk of us, 200, 300 people maybe that left old colony at the time. It was quite a big deal. We rented the Vienna Hall for quite a while. And there, some of it through his teaching, a lot of it through just teaching circulating around. That's how I got saved is somebody passed me an audio cassette or a video, a DVD, not DVD, a CD rather. I forget what all these terms are now. And uh, listening to messages, listening to books and, and reading now, finally. And there was just this openness and this hunger for the truth of the gospel. And a bunch of us got saved. Uh, my family, my, my wife and I, we left and went to the Vienna, Vienna Church and got very involved with the charity ministries. I listened to a lot of Denny Keniston and Mo Stoltzfus and a lot of those types of guys and got very radical and excited about some of these things. And a lot of it was good stuff that's uh, helped me and affected me to this day. And a lot of it kind of got me dug deep into the weeds of religion. And the Redicop Church kept going for a while. We call it the Redicop Church. I think it was Mennonite Church in Christ or something like that. And then that thing kind of split. And then there was a little group that started up meeting in Brownsville, which we called the church at Brownsville. And though I was attending Vienna, I was involved with Brownsville kind of from the start to some degree. I would come at least once a month visiting, hanging out. These are the people that I got saved with, right? So there was a a lot of community and unity involved there. And that's, you started there right from the start, right? At the Brownsville group? I wasn't allowed right away because mom and dad, right? So you um, stayed at Redicops. I finally held, uh, I was going to move out and move in with Jake Simon or John Bammon. And uh, oh. finally agreed and let me go to Brownsville. Uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't I remember know. that threat. Their heads. I'm going to move out, or you let me go to Brownsville. I'm not staying with Redicop because, you know, the religional aspect of it. Wow. I know mom and dad went through an awful lot of turmoil and confusion at this time. Probably, um, they were very upset. They were. It was weird. They wanted to know more, and they wanted our us to know the gospel and to know truth. But they were still really, really wary of anything that didn't feel old colony. So. You know, families shouldn't sit together at church. Men and women should be separate. And we should only sing certain songs, perhaps. And uh, anybody who doesn't wear the head covering is clearly of the false prophet type of people. And so when we started branching out and visiting different congregations, sometimes it was a huge deal to them. Understandably so. It was all they had ever known, right? Well, the worst, the worst part of it 
all was when you got rebaptized. What was that? What they would call rebaptized, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's when I got quite, quite a bit of I don't know if you call it persecution or or backlash or what it was at home. But again, some of that was due to my history of my attitude and not all of that being gone, you know, me not always treating them very nicely and now me claiming to be something, you know, saved, claiming to be saved. And yet some of my attitude was still there and uh, all of that together added up for for not the greatest uh, time in life, <laughs> although it was great. It was a great time of growth. It was, yeah, I look back on that time now, that time period, especially I... Um... I was learning an awful lot. I was just learning about the free gift of grace. You know, I was saved, but then I got into religion. And then right during that time is when I recognized that it's Christ or nothing. You know, if I if it's not Jesus's work that I'm counting on, then I'm as lost as lost can be. And if I was a lost sinner uh, getting baptized, getting some water sprinkled on my head, there was nothing about that water that was holy, nothing about it that sanctified me, nothing about it that cleansed me. And you know, the Bible talks about you're either the children of God or the children of the devil. And I recognize then that no work of the child of the devil is going to be of any value before God. And then at that very same time, you started becoming very, I don't know, maybe I ignored you. Maybe I, you know, I'm the older brother. You're just the kid brother or whatever it might've been, but you started becoming a very real person in my life where it was like everybody that I could think of at the time that was close to me growing up was very disapproving of what I was doing. One of our other brothers, he he wanted nothing to do with me for a period of time. He was very upset that I was thinking about doing this. Uh, some years later, he came back and apologized, and it was a great time, and we get along really well now. But it was uh, it was a huge, huge undertaking. To the old colony mind, this was like committing the unpardonable sin. I remember mom and dad calling and uh, feeling like I was I was throwing myself into hell. I was locking the doors to the kingdom of heaven for my family my wife, my children, I was, you know, in their mind's eye, they were feeling like I was throwing everything away and potentially going to hell, becoming a false prophet. And then when everybody around me, all my friends and family, even my wife really, really struggled with this, didn't understand it. It was really strange to her. You were the only one that was hearing the gospel in the same way that I was. And you were like, mom, dad, I don't know. I don't know what you all said to them, but you kind of stood up against them in a way, or at least in support of me. And it uh, was it cost you quite a bit to do that. And all of a sudden I remember talking to you, I was at North star talking to you. Was it on? No, it couldn't have been cell phones. You must've been working there at the time. And you came over and I was working in the, the receiving department and you were in shipping and you came over and chatted. And it was like this emotional close knit thing where it was like, wow, we're standing together for something here. This feels like it's bigger than us. And at the time, maybe a lot of it was vanity on our part. Maybe we were just being ignorant and overzealous. I don't know, but it, it bound us together in a way that it, though we've had our little spats and issues through the years, we had a business together and all that, something was bound together in us at that point, it seems like to me. Maybe you have a different perspective. No, I feel the same way. I remember times like uh, you would come over to mom and dad's. I was never allowed at your house. Uh, that would have been unforgivable. You know, they didn't want me going to your place and being spoiled, you know. Um, but you would come over and then we'd take a walk out and the back of mom and dad's property and talk about things and that's the only time we could ever talk to each other right one time we were at the Aaron and Lisa's out in uh Leamington when I still lived by the lake and I wanted to go home with you guys and mom and dad just wouldn't let it no way I'm not I'm not having you defiled by his way of thinking any more than I can help it type of thing wow and that, 
one of the times I did act up and cause some grief, which I shouldn't have done. That I can clearly remember that I I did some wrong things there. Uh, but there's other times too where, like my brother-in-law Ike Dyke, everybody would know him from way back as Ike Dyke. He knew the hard times I was going through. He was saved at the time too, and he called me during the day of it. And I was really appreciative of the call, but mom and dad had caller ID already at the time. Uh-oh. And so I knew when they came home, they were going to call. And sure enough, dad asked, and I got in big trouble. Right? Isaac Dyke had called me, and he was one of these avia bucks at avia school, right? Yeah, he was spending and, a lot of time uh, at my place at the time. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one weekend driving the four-wheeler all the way to Lyon. I think this would have been during this time to come visit you guys. Maybe it was before. I don't remember, but you were hanging out with Isaac at the time, too. Yeah, that would have been during that time then, because that's that's where I met him, right? So, well, that yeah. was, uh, yeah, that was an incredible time. Um, we were both at North Star at the time, both doing truck driver helper stuff, and then I was at the shipping department or the receiving department for a while. And then uh, you started working for uh, Matthews, a construction company in Port Burwell. And you kind of learned yeah. a bit of the trade. And then a couple of years later, what was it? Maybe a year later, you and I started our own business installing sunrooms at Four Seasons. That's, that's right. And if we could go back a little bit, I think there was a huge time in my life while working with John Dyke at North Star. We were out delivering windows one day. And we had both been very influenced by Danny Keniston and the charity movement and a lot of the rules and regulations that they have in place about dress code and things like that. And we started listening, I think it was to Sin No More or one of his things, maybe separately, maybe even together in the truck. And this was a turning point. And this may have been where I got saved. I'm not sure. But uh, he turns to me and he says, Joe, if we're going to believe what this man is saying about the gospel, we pretty much have to disbelieve everything we've been taught to this point. And <laughs> was those that? aren't his exact words, but that, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, I mean, they did have some of the gospel in it. Don't get me wrong. We got, a lot of people got saved through that, but we pretty much had to unbelieve everything that we had been believing to that point and uh, accept their freedom in Christ. So that was a huge turning point for me. I was out in the truck somewhere in the States, I think. Yeah. Well, that's, so, that's where yeah, I got saved. Go on, next I to John Dyke. Oh, what was that last part? Yeah, he's huge influence. For... Moving on, it was about a year I was with Ed Matthews and then, and then we started our business. Okay. But yeah, now with, uh, with John but Dyke there not, sitting, uh, sitting next to him is when I got saved. And, um, we also started listening to a lot of the sin, no more stuff together. Uh, Michael Pearl's teachings. And the charity style teaching to me led me down a path of, uh, I would call it now, based on Michael Pearl's terms, is works sanctification. I believe the gospel. Christ had died for me. I heard that from the charity ministries, and I believed it, and I was saved. And then in order to kind of stay saved, in order to stay zealous, in order to get close to God, that was dependent upon my works. It was no longer a grace thing, whereas sin no more made the whole thing you know, Romans chapter six, I could say now, instead of saying Michael Pearl, because he just pointed out Romans chapter six in a way that I had never seen before. So Romans chapter six and several other passages made it all about not only did Christ die for my sins and pay for my debt and forgive my sins, but he also crucified us together with him so that I'm participant in it. And so now even my righteousness day-to-day living is also as a result of the cross and the cross in 
in indwells every part of the Christian life, right? It's not just about getting saved. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, again, like I said, a huge turning point. I tried telling everybody about it. I tried giving out to no more CDs to everybody I knew, right? Because I knew nobody was listening to it at the time. And I don't know how you got introduced to it, but obviously I got introduced to it through you. And uh, and not to lift one man up over the other, but he was the only one that I knew of preaching this freedom in Christ at the time, right? So I was trying to pass it on, trying to tell people the good news. This was like getting born again again. <laughs> yeah, it, for me, it really was. It was uh, it was a complete bringing me back to the basics and the elementary things of the gospel. And it was very, very liberating. And for a while, you know, people called us Pearlites and names like that because we were listening to everything Michael Pearl had to say. And for me, I've often told people that, yeah, of course, I hung on a lot of his words. But even now, like I, I rarely listen to him. I rarely read his stuff. But he brought me to a place where I was able to now read the text and understand the gospel in a way where I didn't need him, which was interesting because most other people, I needed, I needed the preacher to kind of keep feeding me, to keep stimulating me, keep pushing me, prodding me, provoking me. And here, finally, someone brought me to the text and said, look what it says. Let's just walk according to the light of, in light of this gospel truth, right? And it was uh, very eye-opening and liberating. Yeah, yeah. The the style of teaching is like being a good boss or a good parent. You're raising people to be independent, not raising people to be dependent on everything you say from here on out. Right. And it did exactly that because I very rarely listen more either, right? And uh, now uh, the, the one thing I used back then as an example is the way I understood it is the Bible is pretty simple. It's pretty clear. There are some confusing parts possibly. Uh, don't get me wrong. But uh, I had a black car at the time, and I was, I was teaching youth, you know, if I tell you my car is black, does that mean it's white with black polka dots or white with pink polka dots? No, it's a black car. If the Bible says you're dead, that means you're dead. I just believe it. Yeah. You know, just like uh, that story of Paul. Paul Paul's going to go across the lake, and God says, you're going to make it. And then people want to jump over, and, they're, and then he's like, don't jump over, because then we won't make it. Well, what do you mean? God says we're going to make it. Just believe me, you know, it's it's black and white. That's how it is. God said you're going to make it, but at the same time, don't jump over because then you won't make it. Just believe it. You don't have to try to figure out what he meant. It's just he's going to make it. You're not going to make it. Believe it. Yeah. And it's it's simple. It's straightforward. You don't have to fit God into a theological the box. Is- we started working together and traveling around quite a bit and coming out of this uh, religion of charity type ministries religion and coming into the freedom that we have in Christ. Um, it did some interesting things to both of us, I think. Before hearing the gospel in this way and being liberated by the truth of it, we were probably more zealous to read and pray and witness for at least a period of time where we before it was like the christian life is witnessing reading praying doing good work so you got to get up in the morning you have to pray you have to read because i am a christian i have to do these things in order to gain acceptance in order to have peace in order to have joy and confidence and so it was it was a religion of works even though those were good things in and of themselves but if they're done out of the motivation to give you peace, to give you joy, to give you acceptance before God, then they are dead works. And so then we came out of that and realized we don't have to do anything to be saved. I, for me, it definitely did free me up to not 
feel the pressure to have to read. But when I did read, it was more of a joy. When I did witness, it was out of the abundance of my heart, so to speak, right? I guess that's kind of an open-ended yeah, thing. You like went I through said. that too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The youth group was huge because I was a part of, like I said before, about two, two to three youth groups at the time. And I was just trying to tell everybody about it, you know. You don't have to work for your sanctification anymore. You're free. You're free from sin. All you have to do is believe it. Reckon yourself to be dead and deep unto Christ, uh, unto sin, and alive unto Christ. And uh, it was just a joyful time. It was great. And now the issue that I had later on was that uh, religion crept back. And I, I feel like it's something I struggled with for years. You know, it, and I think that's why Paul was so harsh on the Galatians for allowing religion in. Is because it once it creeps in, it's tough to get rid of. It's like being bewitched. And, uh, growing up in the old colony religion. Yeah, absolutely. Growing up in the old colony system where it was all religion, then going to Redicops where it was he was trying to get out, but not really. Uh, and then going to charity where you're saved, but you still gotta use religion to get better. Um and so it's confusing, you know, sometimes, even though you know the gospel, some of that wants to creep back in. But what what, what about this? You know, I did this today and I shouldn't have, you know, and uh, it, it can be a turmoil. It, it was in my life, even after I knew of this sin no more, you know, for, for a time there was like a honeymoon period where it was just joyful. And I was, it was, uh, it was great. And then that 15, 16, almost 20 years of religious teaching it's hard to do away with, you know, I haven't even lived twice that long yet. I'm 34. So <laughs> I haven't been under the teaching of grace for as long as I was under the teaching of religion. So, and, and the stuff that you're raised is, uh, under is, as a child is ingrained into you. Right. I remember one call in particular yeah, when we so were uh, just coming out of charity type of teaching, we were on our way to Leamington to do a job. So we had been up at four in the morning or something like that and driving out there to do an install and one of these extremely zealous brothers called you up and he's like, hey, brother, how are you? And you're like, good, good. You know, you're half awake, half asleep. And he's like, so what did you read this morning? And you're like, uh, we just got to North Star and it's or we just got to uh, Leamington. It's like seven in the morning. We left at five this morning. So I didn't read. And, and it was just like this silence on the other end. Like, how how could you not like? I thought you were one of us. I thought you were one of the zealous brothers. How could you not have read this morning? And you and I afterward were just like, what freedom? Not that we don't have to read. Not that we were free to not read anymore. But we were free from the pressure to perform and free to be accepted by God. But you're right. As soon as you get comfortable with that and allow your human nature maybe or your natural self to kind of come out again and you're not stoking your the, your faith with other people around you or with the scriptures itself, you end up kind of resorting to your natural inclinations and it can lead you down a path of dark religion again. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's tough. Uh, the struggle to be a Christian is not a struggle. Romans chapter seven is not a Christian man. That's uh, a man under the law. And if you allow religion to creep back in after you've been freed, that's what it does feel like at times. Uh, to struggle with that, and that's why Paul was still harsh against uh, religious teachings, you know. That's the only people he didn't have any use for, any time for. He called it a pile of dung, which in our times, I don't even know what the equivalent word would be, but it would be pretty harsh. 
And so uh, he had no time for that. And I understand that through personal experience why he had no time for that. But uh, it's also just, again, a black and white thing. If there's somebody in your midst that's teaching religion, you put a stop to it. You put a stop to it right away. Yep. It's because of that struggle that it can lead to. You don't uh, you don't give that place not even for an hour, right? You don't uh, you don't allow that type of thing to go on. Yeah, I'm teaching Galatians to our youth group right now, and it's we're just kind of leaving it open, letting them discuss it as we share and talk about verses and let hear from their opinions and stuff. And it's really neat to see them see how Paul's attitude towards those that seem to be somewhat whatever they were. It makes no difference to me, he says. God respects no man, per, no man's person. He just, he wasn't impressed by titles or by zealous reputation, right? He just like, I don't care what your reputation is. I don't care who you think you are or who people think you are. I'm, I'm interested in the gospel and how somehow someone moved you away from the freedom that's in Christ onto some other gospel, which is not another gospel. It makes me think you've been bewitched. And it's, it's pretty neat how he approaches religion that way. That's right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really good. This is probably one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. To move on a little bit from that, um, while we were working together, we had, uh, you were, st- we were still, I was at um, Vienna Church, you were at Springfield, and you ended up ma- finding a wife from the Vienna Church, Susan Penner at the time, now Susan Blatz, for a long time now. I remember we were working together when you got married. And uh, it was quite the ordeal, too. Uh, how, how did that change your life? What do you want to have to say about marriage? Um, don't take so long to get married as I did. <laughs> don't wait so long? I, don't wait so long, no. What were you, uh, 20? Once you find someone, yeah. I don't mean just the age. I mean, once you find someone, just marry her if you love Again. her. You know? okay. um, and that was a big thing to me, too, because I was a very feelings-based person. Still am somewhat, you know, emotional guy. Um, but uh, at the time, I had courted two people. Uh, my testimony, God saved me from a lot of things. I've never been drunk in my life. I've never smoked dope in my life. Um, never been high on anything that I can recall. I kissed one person before we were married, and that was not serious. It was like a peck on the cheek type of thing. Mm-hmm. I had two courtships previous, which we don't need to really talk about. But that that's the beauty of courtship. You don't have to worry about anything in your past coming back to haunt you. That's uh, that was after I was saved, you know, besides my previous life, you know, the, the typical male unsaved struggles, I had those, obviously. So those things can come back to haunt you in a sense. But then I met Susan. She's uh, older than I am, about six years older than I am. But uh, she was single. She loved her parents, you know. She worked diligently in the home. She took the female role and she did it gracefully, you know. She... She made her Vienna dresses look good. I love that, you know? <laughs> and uh, j- to me, it was beautiful, even at the time. I never I never required her to change her dress code. I thought she was fine the way she was. She dresses the way she does now. She still looks beautiful to me. Nice. But anyway, I met her. I was good friends with her cousin who lived with her and good friends with her brothers, Isaac Dave, and uh, a little bit with Willie, not so much. But uh, then um, I met her. She would, didn't talk much. Uh, I asked her parents if I could court her, and we had our first date in her room with the door wide open so everybody could see us. <laughs> if you'd call it a date, and, and uh, then somebody offered us a hall that they had rented for a wedding that didn't come through, and it just so happened to be three months after we started courting. <laughs> Whoa! 
And so I... Somebody offered you the hall? Yeah. Hey, yeah. you guys just got together. We have a hall rental. You want to get married? Yeah. Yeah. Because their courtship didn't work out and uh, didn't get married. It's like, here, we got the Vienna Hall rented. I can't get my money back. Do you guys want it? Oh, my. And uh, so we're like, yeah, sure. Why not? We talked it over for like five minutes, maybe. We already knew we were going to get married. You know, <clears throat> there was no point in getting courting at this point other than we knew we liked each other. We wanted to get married. And so three months it was going to be. And one of the elders at Vienna calls me and says, uh, so uh, did Dan tell you to get married this early? <laughs> I was like, where did that come from? That makes no sense. But anyways, it took me three months to get married, which uh, if there was one regret, I would go back and do it in less than three months. So You're crazy, man. <laughs> I know. I know. But I've never looked back. I would never change it. I would never go back to being single. There's this uh, attitude that's very common, and it's pretty much all across the board now, Christian or secular alike. And I don't know what to do with it completely. This idea that you got to kind of find out to see whether you're compatible. Now, the the world, the secular people take it so far as to go, you need to experience each other sexually or else you don't know if you'll be compatible sexually, which to me, I can clearly dismiss and say that's a ridiculous notion. You're, no, you're not compatible with anyone. You're compatible with anyone at the same time, right? There's no, there's no such thing as being a perfect fit for one person. And I think the same thing goes for character and heart and attitude. The, uh, the Hindu type people, the Indians, a lot of them, they, they get married on pre-arranged uh, pre, uh, marriages by their parents, and they have a, a higher happiness rate, not just a lower divorce rate, but their success and happy marriage rate is higher than most secular people that get married. So trying to marry the right one or waiting for the perfect time or waiting for the perfect you know person that's not going to change you or help you or ch- you know whatever, it doesn't make any sense. And so I can understand that. At the same time, we've met a couple of people now who I look at them and I think, man, you guys really do not know each other. You don't know what the other person is about. It's going to be terribly shocking to you to get married to this person who you know nothing of. I mean, was there any big surprises then, not really knowing her? Not really. I mean, going back to this knowing and not knowing, I think in your heart, you probably know pretty quick. I mean, with the previous courtships, I think I knew fairly quickly that it wasn't, it took me a while to end it maybe. But, uh, and yeah, you know, I think, you know, in your heart, maybe somebody needs to tell you, look, man, move on. Um, But with Susan, I just, this was it. I was driving down the road one day, I was praying about it with our old green Dodge pickup headed to uh, Vienna and uh, talking to God. And all of a sudden, you know, just warring within myself, should I or shouldn't I ask her to court to, to take her, her hand type of thing. And, and uh, I think he was waiting for me to decide at that point. And I said out loud, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I did, you know, <laughs> so here we are 15 years later six kids you know um not perfect person i am in christ perfect i can overcome all things through him um but we're raising the next generation you know when you and i started business that was about four months or five months before we got married i moved out for a short time for about three months period i was courting and then moved into Panama, friend of mine that was a great time too to be single and away from your parents for a while but now uh, our vision of being able to work with our kids, 
you kind of accomplish that in a way where you can be at home and work with your kids and bring them up the way you see fit. And finally, this year, my my oldest boys are old enough to come with me to work. I mean, technically speaking, maybe technically. not, but, but they're coming with me to work, you know, and uh, I have a lot of work to do in that respect. I need to learn how to treat them better, always, you know, there's always things to learn. Yeah, I'm becoming a better person. Uh, the move to Alberta was huge two years ago. Well, so, I was going to mention that. Um, you and I were in business together for about three years and then we went our separate ways. We had some issues with each other. It was a bit difficult to learn how to, to work together. Um, our wives getting to know each other, your wife was very quiet and my wife was a little bit, uh, not quiet at the time. Uh, <laughs> she had some issues with you at times. And I, there's just the typical relationship issues that almost every relationship goes through. And I don't think we were ever like, at odds with each other to the point where we weren't going to talk. When we went our separate ways, it was kind of a mutual thing. And uh, over the last couple of years, while you guys were still in Ontario, we finally started really connecting together as couples, even my wife and yours, getting together and having a good time, our children playing together well. So it was uh, it was definitely harder for me, for you guys to leave than it would have been had you left five or six years earlier. At the same time, I completely understood why you guys would have moved away from here. You had a pretty good business. You were making decent money. You had bought and sold a couple houses, made a good bit of equity there, which we could talk about, you know, dealing money, dealing business and stuff. But then you moved over there with this intent that to me, it seemed anyway, you wanted more close knit community, some people that you could interact with because you had left the church where we were gathering at Springfield through a series of events. I'm not sure if we want to get into that now or not. But you went off to Alberta looking for some more close-knit quality relationships and especially the ability to be able to raise your kids the way you wanted. So there you immediately got out in the country and uh, Alberta is a little bit freer with certain rules perhaps and you're able to take your boys off to work and things like that. So it was uh, it's exciting for me to see. I've, I've only seen good things since you left and I think your work ethic you were saying has changed a fair bit out there too. Yeah, it's easier to get up in the mornings. I don't know how that happened. Uh, I was about almost 300 pounds when we left Ontario, I think. I'm 230-ish now. Uh, changed my diet quite a bit for a year and a half, uh, and that helped a lot. You know, Just getting better, becoming a better human, hopefully. Hopefully people around me agree. <laughs> um, yeah, we've had issues come up, and we've been challenged, you know. Uh, we moved out here and we bought two houses right away in a little town. And uh, I spent the first year fixing one of them up, not realizing that money runs out. <laughs> We've had financial issues in the past, and now we're almost in the same position again of, of being almost bankrupt. Not bankrupt, but we wouldn't have gone that far, but it was tight. And uh, praying, I didn't even know there was a job section on Facebook. All of a sudden, one day, I it's a, it's a little harder to find work here in a sense. You do have to travel further. Um, but I was praying and uh, somehow found the job section and found a window and door company that was hiring installers. And uh, they hired me right away the next day. I think I went out and did a job for them. And then there was one job where uh, I messed up. I didn't go check the work of my helper and it was pretty terrible on the outside. And um, the customer was not happy. He didn't even want me to come back and fix it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's rough. And mm -hmm. I just, what I'm willing to go back and fix it. That's just who I am. I'll go back and fix it. It's my mistake. I have no problem with that. 
And because I didn't know exactly how they operated, they operate a bit different out here than they do in Ontario. And so uh, finally, I think the one sales guy said uh, had convinced the homeowner that I could go back and I went back, fixed it. Customers loved me after that. They were very happy. <clears throat> and ever since then, the company's been very happy. And now I got into some patio covers and sunrooms again, which is easier work for slightly better pay. And so I've given them my notice at the at the window place, and they just keep giving me jobs to measure. So I don't know what to do with that. But God has provided. I didn't know there was a job section. I prayed. God showed me there's a job section. And there was a contracted position where I don't want a typical job like everybody else does. I want some freedom so that uh, working nine to five doesn't have. And uh, he found it for me. So, And now financially, we're doing great as far as that goes. So. God. How about um, how about the community thing? I know you went out there kind of hoping that there would be close knit house church type of thing happening, and um, you expressed at one point that you were a little disappointed that things weren't happening. You know, it, it requires a lot of effort to make something like that happen, right? Where if you go to a conventional church, uh, you know that it's scheduled to happen every week at the same time. People just show up, and it is what it is. Where if you're doing a house church, it requires each week almost pre-planning and thinking ahead and making it a priority. And it's easier to allow it to kind of slip and not really make it a top priority. What have you uh, learned there? How have you gone about that? It is a constant struggle, I guess you could say. Uh, People get busy. And like you said, it's easy to not show up. But now a lot of the people have moved from this side of the city, which is the east side of the city, to the west side where we're planning to move. Uh, people do move quite a bit. We have friends that we gathered with during the winter uh, that are also moving up to the creek. So <laughs> we made some pretty close friends there. and We were gathering every Sunday, but they're now moving because we've got a job opportunity up north. So, um, but yeah, it's just something you, you do definitely have to work on. It's, uh, and I'm not totally opposed to, to corporate style gatherings anymore like I was at one time, possibly. But, uh, I think the way it all came about was because when we were at Brownsville with the group there, we seemed to have that really tight, close-knit, um, in each other's homes, loving each other type of attitude. And uh, they shaped my Christian life for for a large part. I love those people. I would never say anything bad about them, so to speak. Um, John Dyke was like a father figure to me for, for quite a few years. Um, Abe Dyke super hospitable, <laughs> goofy Abe, I love the guy. Uh, our furnace was out one time and uh, it was getting changed and it couldn't get changed back. That same weekend, we went there to visit. And it was a little bit cold. It would have been bearable in the house, but it was a little bit cold and he wouldn't let us leave. He said, no, you're sleeping here tonight. Wow. And, you know, and that's the way the church ought to be. And I love that about Brownsville. And I think when it was almost like a switch at the time, and maybe it's come back a bit because you've been there now for quite a while. Uh, but it was almost like a switch when we got the building at Springfield. And that was something I pushed for too. I was on board with, I didn't push for it necessarily. Maybe I did, but I was on board for buying the building too. Not realizing that almost as soon as we got the building, most of that went away for a period, uh, for the period that we were there. For the remainder, it just seemed like uh, there was the close-knit stuff kind of just dwindled. Now we had a building to get together. We didn't really need to open our homes as much. And mm. to do things there, we wouldn't have to get someone's house messy. And I understand that. My wife 
doesn't like the messy house either, and it's hard to clean up after people sometimes. But uh, I really missed it, and I think that was a large part the underlying factor for us to move on and to try to find something that was a little bit more close knit. Well, I know we we both read some books on uh, house churching and the small close knit stuff, and how a lot of what happens in conventional church is uh, adopted from secular. Uh, history, secular uh, traditions and things like that. It's not necessarily Christian. It's not found in the scriptures. And so you and I both wanted to get back to the basics of what does it actually mean to be a Christian church? How does community actually function and work? And it seems like it should definitely be more natural, more family-like than corporate-like. And that's where the, the corporate gathering, the large gathering, especially when it gets really big, tends to take the family um, community aspect out of things sometimes, unless the people really get to know each other well, and there's a uh, camaraderie and, and um, community in the mix, right? Where people are helping each other and uh, hosting each other and all that, which, you know, it happens a lot at Springfield. Now there's um, I'm sure we all slip in and out of uh, our issues. And sometimes we get too hung up on the Sunday morning service maybe, but um, it's we've built lasting relationships and I even on top of relationships, you know, there's a lot of people in the church that maybe I don't have a really close knit relationship with. But just the fact that I know that they're raising their kids to serve God and they know that they're loving their wives. and I know that they're trying to raise their children as well as they can. It provides stability to my life to know, OK, there's another family over there and there's another family over there. And I know them. They know me. Maybe we're not best friends, but we know each other and we're we're in that same mixture together right where if push came to shove they'd be there for us and we would for them right yeah yeah Did you find some of that in alberta yeah there's there's people here that are are like-minded right raising their kids the same similar way uh very picky with their kids which is good um picky to certain influences always learning always you know uh realizing our faults and uh Maybe not enough sometimes, but confessing our faults one to another, you know. Um, again, a lot of the people that we know have moved to the west side, so it's a little yeah. more difficult to uh, keep in touch with them. The closest ones we have now are our brother Neil, but definitely a growing, a growing time together, and uh, also realizing myself that not everybody has to think exactly like I do <laughs> to to get along. Like this, good thing they of- don't. Yeah, that's right. This couple that's moving up north, some of his doctrine is off, I find, maybe. And maybe he finds some of my doctrine is off. But uh, we seem to get along great, you know. Our common goal is the gospel, is to teach our children the gospel. Um, He's actually in the public school system teaching kids, and hopefully he has the same influence on those kids that he did on my boys. You know, we went ice fishing with him this year, and he was just a great influence to have around. Do I agree with everything he says or does? Maybe not. But uh, but we did things together that uh, changed my family's life forever. Things that will, just like the beginning stages of uh, Brownsville, Springfield there, there's things that happened there that changed my life forever. And that's the way that church ought to be, changing and molding and becoming better people, not because we're trying to attain sanctification, but because we are sanctified. Amen. Very good. That's exciting stuff. Um, raising your kids, loving your wife. What's top priority in your family, in your life, in your marriage? 
that's a good question. Maybe it's I a think, little too broad. Um, reading some articles, I think we need to have a common goal together as a family to work toward. We're all on the same boat. Uh, an, an article I read from Mike Crow actually not too long ago about about all having, you know, I am the captain of the family, but we all need to be involved in the vision of our family. And so I'm learning how to bring my kids in on my wife and my kids in on the vision. Our vision is to buy an acreage. Uh, and I always said growing up, even until a few years ago, I never want to be a farmer. Uh, I'm not a farmer. I don't want to be one. But now there's a possibility. I mean, we've got a cow out back now. We've got chickens. Uh, cow's almost ready to have a baby. Milk cow, Jersey. Nice. Uh, it's a little scary and a little bit like, ah, uh, we're going to be pretty tied down. I'm not sure I'm okay with that. But at the same time, that is our somewhat our vision is to get out to work together, to be able to be at home more. Uh, it's been a pretty busy couple of years trying to get back on our feet after the first year we were here. It was tough financially. So now we've kind of built ourselves out of that or with God's help. Obviously, he's found me all these opportunities to work. And so now it's, uh, for me, it's learning how to bring my kids in on the vision. And you're able to prioritize your marriage still? Yeah. I, I mean, again, lots of learning to do even after 14 years, but, uh, I feel like we're, we're doing good. I mean, our relationship, I would have said this five months ago, but our, our marriage is the best it's ever been and it just keeps getting better. So wow. <laughs> and now it's the best that it's ever been again. So there are struggles, always struggles, you know, like you and I work in a business together. It wasn't always easy. And, uh, we had some hard times. I feel like when we left, working together we were getting along great but we had worked through that struggle i felt and then we moved on we didn't move on it during the hard time right yeah uh, with marriage it's the same thing it's two people from totally different backgrounds that grew up differently that are trying to make it work and it's working you know again struggles for sure there's things that come up but it's it's great i wouldn't change it like i said i would never go back to being single never I don't think we realize how strange that is. Like there's, we, we surround ourselves with people who have good marriages and who are working on their marriages at least. But if you go out into the regular society or even a lot of church, marriage is a really, really difficult thing to the point where people are just barely putting up with it. They're tolerating it. They're okay, but they just can't enjoy it. You know, they're waiting for something better to happen, maybe for the kids to grow up or whatever it might be. So for you to say after 14 years, you said, 14 yeah. years of marriage that it's actually getting better. That's huge. You know, people think that if you marry the right person, that you'll just mesh and things will go well. And if they don't go well, then you must not be meant for each other. But that's completely contrary to what all relationships are like. And especially marriage, marriage in a sense will bring you together and then it'll rub, rub off all the hard spots, you know, all the spots that you have flaws in and where she has flaws in and where you can't see eye to eye. Those are the things that get exposed in marriage. It's like, one example I heard was like a big concrete bridge. If you put a big 60,000 pound Mack truck on that bridge, you'll look underneath and you'll see a lot of cracks and crevices and places where the bridge is getting old. But the truck didn't put them there. The truck is just exposing them. And so marriage will do that. But if you don't go into marriage thinking, okay, I'm going to give myself for this person for the rest of my life. I'm going to give up my desires, my likes, my wants 
for them, like Christ loved the church, then there's no way you're going to make a beautiful thing of it. So marriage demands selflessness. You have to sacrifice. There's no way to have a good marriage without sacrifice. This Hollywood idealized version of marriage where you just, you mesh perfectly and you find the one that gives you all the butterflies and makes everything good and never wants to change you. It's completely baloney, right? Yeah. Yeah. Butterflies are few, far in between a lot of times, right? <clears throat> there are times definitely that you get that, but just, I often turn to my wife and tell her there's no one else I'd rather do this with. Amen. Time, you know, you're, you're the best person I can think of, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad I didn't get married before you. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's yeah, we have hard times. Obviously, we're we're humans, but uh, it, there's no one else I'd rather have hard times with. As cheesy as that may sound, yeah, you know. And, and even sometimes the flaws and and things that irritate you of the other person end up becoming the things that endear you to them the most, right? You just you learn yeah. to appreciate that person. Maybe other people are looking up from the outside, looking at at you or looking at your spouse and thinking. I wouldn't want to be with them. And yet that's some of the reasons you want to be with that person. Yeah. Yeah, I know we've done, you probably shouldn't do that, but you've looked at that before and just said to her, man, I'm glad that that person never became my wife. Right. Um, And uh, (laughs) the other people are probably doing the same thing, especially looking at me, man, I'm glad that person never became my husband. He's a nasty guy sometimes, but you know, like I said, there's no one else. Awesome. Anyway, our hour is just about up. So any last words, something you want to really get out there, people to hear? Cling to Jesus, the cross, you know, just cling to that. Push out the religion, just uh, hold fast. Amen. Well, to me, that sounds like the theme, hopefully, that's run through our conversation. You know, you, you grew up an angry young boy and became a gentle big man that uh, has learned through the cross to walk faithfully in in relationship to God through reading the scriptures through obeying in your personal life and then into business and into marriage and into raising your children uh, you're moving your you know any interpersonal relationships you have the cross has been woven into your life and it's a beautiful thing to behold so appreciate it all right thank you all right god bless you too